0: Hello, and welcome to Ask Dr. Dawn. The opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers, and this is a program intended for education and entertainment. It should not be construed as a substitute for a medical consultation. Now, I am returning just this last Sunday from the Institute for Functional Medicine's annual international conference. And regular listeners will know that I always come back with a box full of goodies for my audience, and today is no exception. We're going to take a look under the hood at periodontitis and gum disease. This talk was about the oral microbiome and the mechanisms for oral dysbiosis, and I have to tell you that medicine is a guild system, all right? When you go through your regular training, there are certain things that they just don't teach you anything about. It's an agreement. They don't teach you anything about veterinary medicine, okay? I can, I can live with that, but they also don't teach you anything about teeth and given the fact that many people don't have access to a dentist and that primary care doctors in particular really need to know about teeth, I've done my best, but this lecture really, as I said, it was a deep dive into periodontitis, periodontal disease in uh, general, and it really emphasized to me, just as the what, 15 years ago when I first heard about the microbiome in the gut, and I started connecting the dots and realizing how fundamental this was to health and disease, how core it was to everything, well, guess what? This microbiome is extremely important, and we're going to talk about it in some detail this program. Um, So I planned to discuss it ahead of time. I thought, well, this is the top story. But then one of this week's emails just fits right in. I love it when that kind of serendipity happens. So uh, we'll get to that email in all good time. But let's start with the environment of the mouth and the gums and the teeth. So, first of all, the keys to understanding this are that it's a dance between the challenge of Having bacteria living in your mouth, and that's a given. You can't expunge them. They are going to be there. Uh, and you want the ones that are going to, just like in the microbiome, be the healthy ones that help promote health. You also have the host immune response. Is the person already inflamed? Let's say they have diabetes where they uh, have high type 1 or type 2, uh, because in type 1 you develop insulin. Uh, receptor resistance to insulin and then we use higher and higher doses of insulin and in uh, but you can't make any insulin so we're giving you the insulin but effectively we can kind of the two diseases reconverge at the receptor for insulin. In type 2 diabetes, of course, the primary problem is with the receptor, which has become less responsive to insulin after years and years and years of the pancreas frantically pumping out lots of insulin in order to keep the blood sugar in the normal range. Then you have modifying risk factors, and that's where you get into the genetics and maybe comorbidities related to behavior. Uh, then you get into dysregulation of bone metabolism so uh, and chronic non-resolving inflammation. So let's walk through what happens here. First of all, you have a microbial challenge, and it's not just bacteria. There are actually yeasts in the mouth, and we think about babies getting thrush, right? That's kind of a normal thing. The babies get thrush in their mouth. Well, you know that candida albicans never actually goes away. Uh, there's a, another candida, candida glabrata, that is more common in the gums. But basically, you're talking about yeast organisms with certain properties, which turn out to actually be very relevant to this. More in good time on that one. And then there's viruses. And we'll, we'll talk about viruses, but all of these things produce antigens. And as they die and break down, the bacteria, produce a compound from their cell wall called lipopolysaccharides, and lipopolysaccharides are a ligand, that means a key that fits into a lock for a receptor called the Toll-like receptor, and when a key gets into that Toll-like receptor, it turns on inflammation. Antigens themselves turn on inflammation if you've got pre-existing antibodies to them, and if the, uh, depending on where those antigens are coming from, you'll have those antibodies soon enough because the adaptive immune system, the one we vaccinate with, uh, that one is going to make those antibodies if those antigens are present in a large enough number for a long enough time. Meanwhile, you have those antibodies going back and altering the microbiome and perhaps uh, fighting the yeast. Reducing the, uh, grabbing the viruses, keeping them from reinfecting the cells. And you have the white blood cells that are also going in there and attacking. So you have your, your, you have your phagocytosis where the big white blood cells that are big eaters, they get in there and they grab the bacteria and they grab the yeast particles. But in doing so, they belch out a little bit of acid. And this acid is destructive to the lung, to the, excuse me, not the lung tissue, the gum tissue. So that's the host inflammatory response and the microbial. But that host inflammatory response, that's also producing a lot of compounds. You've heard of prostaglandins, of course, the stuff that you're blocking with ibuprofen, but there's also other cytokines uh, that you're blocking that are equally going to have an effect on bone and connective tissue metabolism also the the host inflammatory response produces matrix metalloproteinases and these are enzymes that actually break down tissue so now we've got inflammation in the connective tissue a disruption in bone metabolism inflammation by itself by the way impairs the function of your osteoblasts, which are your bone-building cells. And after all of this is rolled around for maybe two or three decades, you start to see this clinical signs of disease and progression that we call first gingivitis and then periodontitis. But let's take a moment and examine the anatomy here so most of us know what a tooth looks like, and we've probably seen images of the tooth roots going down into the bone. And that bone is called alveolar bone. It's spongy, and it's got a lot of potential to be occupied by biofilm, which is a super important piece of this. Uh, it's also, because it's spongy, if you think about uh think think about a bubble bath and think about those bubbles and what happens over time is that the bubbles merge together into large bubbles and then eventually you don't have the foam you just have a few big bubbles floating around on the surface of a bathtub with soap film in it right and so you you can think of periodontitis as that sort of progressive uh, change in the structure of the bone fueled by inflammation. Now, you have between the teeth a flesh-like spike that is called the papillae, and it's skin and gum tissue, gingival tissue, and it's basically a very highly evolved form of skin. It's highly adapted to this purpose but it's essentially not unlike the skin on the lining of your cheek. Uh, That skin adheres to the tooth and forms a sort of collar, and that collar is super important. It's uh, protected, and there's actually a little clear skin growing up onto the tooth. So this is how things don't get from your tooth down into the bone to infect the bone directly. Otherwise, that bacteria that's living on and between your teeth could be invasive and get into your bloodstream. So this is, this is your, your structure and what connects the gum tissue to the tooth are these little tiny periodontal fibers, which are like little elastic strings and they're super important. So you can think of the alveolar bone as the soil and you can think of the tooth as what is planted in the soil. And when you first plant a tree, you often will put little ropes and round it in a triangle uh, to hold it up and keep it from flopping over until those roots get well developed. Well, you can think of the gums as being those anchors that help the teeth stay where they should be. So that's the healthy situation where you've got healthy teeth, you've got healthy gingiva, low levels of inflammation, low levels of pathogenic bacteria, good solid periodontal ligaments holding things together. And what happens in early gingivitis is that you start to get increasing numbers of uh, of aerobic bacteria. So the same stuff that's there anyway, but now the volume, the numbers have gone up. And why that's happening, we'll come to in a few moments. But as the numbers of bacteria increase, you get increased inflammation, and the gums will get a little bit puffy, and they'll sometimes bleed when they're probed. And that's the first sign that you're developing disease. Way before you get pockets, uh, you floss or you brush and you see a little... Uh, bleeding. So this is also why they've switched to these really super soft toothbrushes because they actually open up space for you know, they make your teeth feel a little cleaner and uh, but they also open up space in that gingival collar and you know create a sort of hollow or contribute to the creation of a sort of hollow uh, because the inflamed tissue is more friable. It's not as as. Resistant to friction, and so you can actually scrape it off with a toothbrush. Now, once you have established gingivitis and you've got, you start to get bacteria penetrating into the gum tissue, not just between the teeth, but penetrating deep enough into the gum tissue that it starts to dissolve the connections, those periodontal uh, ligaments that I talked about. And it literally, the the metallic, the matrix metalloproteinases and the uh, products that are produced by the inflammatory cells that move in there, as I said, actually start to digest and melt the uh, gingiva. That creates a deeper pocket. And that's why when your numbers start to go up, and this is primarily still because it's relatively superficial, it's still exposed to oxygen. So it's aerobic bacteria. And aerobic bacteria are the only ones that can survive an oxygen environment. The anaerobes, which are, you know, the king of the soil bacteria, uh, are not able to survive oxygen as toxic to them. But as that pocket gets a little bit deeper, you get down to where there isn't enough oxygen and you start to see Non adherent bacteria growing in the pocket. And this opens up an entirely different environment, if you will, for this progression of bacteria. And we see shifts in the progression of bacteria. So, periodontitis, why is this important? Well, because there are 57 chronic diseases that have been linked to periodontal disease. Uh, some of the big ones, diabetes, Cardiovascular disease, preterm labor, uh, all kinds of musculoskeletal diseases, all of the, you know, osteoarthritis, um, rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, osteoporosis. Are you getting interested now? I hope so. Uh, it's linked to respiratory tract diseases, an increased risk of getting pneumonia and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, kidney disease leads to chronic renal insufficiency, preeclampsia it's linked to, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, gastroesophageal reflux, of course, endotoxemia, where bacteria, uh, where the toxins from bacteria get into your bloodstream, and bacteremia, where you can go septic because the bacteria climb in, but also breast cancers have been linked to this, uh, just The list goes on and on. I'm not going to read you the whole 57 list. I think you've got the point. The data for the frequency of periodontal disease at some level is really striking. Uh, 47% of adults who are 30 or older have either mild, which is 8.7%, moderate, which is 30%, or severe, which is 8.5%, gum disease. So, in other words, almost half of people over 30 should be pricking up their ears right now because this affects your lifespan. Now, every day in the United States, more than 10,000 people reach the age of 65. And uh, by 2030, those over 70 will go from uh, the current 35 million to 71 million. Let me say that again. Between now and 2030, the number of people over 70 is going to almost, well, it's going to double. And we know that with the frequency of periodontal disease going up higher and higher as you age, uh, we said 50% of people over 30. Well, 70% of Americans over 65 have it, and many don't know they have it. And this is from the CDC in Haines. Uh, Data from 2010. I would guess that it's probably gotten worse now. So, conventional therapy involves using antibiotics, using deep scaling, uh, gum, uh, sometimes uh, actually transplanting a little gum into an area where you're getting recession, where the where the papillae are just shrinking. Lasers are being used, but honestly, lasers have not been proven superior. To conventional therapy in any kind of head to head study. They're just cool. And so everybody has to have one. By the way, dentists love gadgets. It's just, you know, innate, I think, in uh, wanting to play with tools. It's one of the things you would self select into if you like to manipulate flesh or tissue. And, uh, you know, I have to confess to a little bit of that particular. A desire myself. It's one of the things that led me to choose family medicine, uh, but that's a different conversation. So I said cardiovascular disease, low birth weight, preeclampsia. I didn't mention colon cancer and cancer of all types but, um, and erectile dysfunction and prostatitis. All of these are associated with periodontitis. Cause and effect, well, you're dumping a lot of bad bacteria into your gut, which may or may not be leaky, and uh, you're going to increase inflammation, and presumably that can backfire by causing tissue damage, which lets the bacteria in. So as you develop more and more disease, you're going to see two things happening, one of which is that the depth of the pocket uh, between the teeth is going to get deeper and the second is that you're going to see the gum shrinking those papillae so the teeth are going to get longer looking you've heard the phrase long in the tooth as an expression to describe being older the idea being longer uh, older people have more periodontal disease therefore they have shorter gums and appear to have longer t- teeth but unfortunately they don't have longer teeth and the roots are just as shallow as they ever were so when you get that recession and, and the increase in pocket depth, you get something called clinical attachment loss. And so when you're getting your dental probing, they should be scoring you for the recession and the pocket depth and adding those together. And that's your clinical uh, attachment loss. And if that number anywhere is above six, when you get probed, that is automatically moderate disease. That's not ever healthy, no matter what your age is. So it's important to chase those down really quickly. Now, one of the things we see is that there are health associated species of bacteria there. We there are core species, which are just the root you know, the like the bifidobacterium and the lactobacillus in the gut, you know, you they're everywhere. And then you have you hope. Then you have these species that are associated with periodontitis. And about 48% of the bacteria that you can isolate using state-of-the-art technology in uh, a person who has that is disease-associated bacteria. The health-associated species go down to 10%. And the core species actually don't shift. That's probably why they call them core species, because they don't really shift. But at, in doing these sort of bacterial uh, deep dives and characterizing what the actual oral microbiome, people have been doing that for a while in the dental literature and they've been associating it with various things. Uh, there are certain cancers, for example pancreas, esophagus, colon, lung, and head and neck cancers, which are associated with specific bacteria if those are elevated. And uh, cardiovascular health, which we'll come to in more detail in a moment, joint and muscular health, Uh, dementia. There's certain bacteria, if you see them in high levels, they increase the risk of developing dementia like Alzheimer's. Obesity uh, and lack of exercise can cause chronic inflammation. That inflammation can damage the pancreas and lead to diabetes. And of course, diabetes, it's a perfect storm because diabetics have increased levels of harmful bacteria in their gums in the first place because they have more glucose, which means more bacteria chow. So they get a bigger, more vigorous growth of the bacteria. And... There are particular changes that occur in the microbiome uh, with pregnancy. And there is, uh, I think, a movement now, and I would certainly support this, to screen pregnant women for these adverse bacteria and aggressively go after their dental hygiene and go after their teeth. Because this is, you know, being preterm birth is, can damage the child for life and we, you know, or kill them. We know that. And we also see low birth weight, which has all kinds of implications later in life for your risk of diabetes. And a lot of these bacteria are cousins of gut bacteria. If you've ever gotten a GI effects uh, from Genova or a GI map test from whoever it is who does that one, uh, you'll recognize these names, Prevotella, Campylobacter, Treponema. And these are things that we would see in uh, even a healthy microbiome in small amounts and not worry about. It's when that amount gets bigger and it starts taking over the environment that you get the accelerated inflammatory response and the whole cascade of illness. Now, at this point, I'm going to share with you a metaphor, which I think is, is really useful, especially for us. Who anyone who dives or who's done even snorkeling, but especially if you've done scuba. Um, we live in the Monterey Bay. It's a preservation zone. We have a deep ocean trench. Most of us know about the weird and strange pelagic environment down there. And, you know, we've watched a video from Mbari or something like that. And the thing to understand is that there's this intertidal zone. We all know what that is. Right, that's where the sea anemones are, and they're above water and they're below, uh, uh below water throughout a 24 hour tidal cycle. And then you have the continental shelf, the shallow thing, and you've got coral and plankton, and you get a little bit deeper into what's called the twilight area, and that's where you see the whales, and that's where you see the octopi and Uh, a lot of other organisms. If you go deeper down to like a thousand meters, it gets very, very dark, what they call the aphotic zone. And uh, below 4,000, there's no light. And that's a completely different environment. And we see completely different animals adapted in amazing ways to live in this light-free environment. But completely different, and that's an analogy for what's going on in those deep pockets. You're getting bacteria that have no business being in the mouth. You're getting bacteria that really have no business being in your body. These, there's not, there are good anaerobic bacteria as a class. It, they vary. And many of the healthy, helpful bacteria, like Acromansia are anaerobic, Oxygen will kill them. And so they only live in the colon, where you've basically got packed poop keeping the oxygen out, and the oxygen tension is so low that they aren't damaged. It's just like if you were living five inches below the surface of the soil, there's not a whole lot of air down there. Now, here's where you get into the real environment ecology thing. This idea of interkingdom assemblages. And what is that? Well, that's where, you know, there's kingdoms. Bacteria are in one kingdom, fungi are in another. And here's, here's an example. Lichen, okay? Stuff that grows on rocks. You hike around here, you're going to see a lot of lichen. And it's brilliantly colored. That's because it has algae. Uh, and the algae produce... Uh, different kinds of carotenoids and of course chlorophyll and do that good old photosynthesis thing. And it also is fungi. Fungi do not do photosynthesis, but they're very good at spreading and holding on to things. And so lichen is an interkingdom assemblage. It contains both fungi and bacteria both fungi and algae. And algae and bacteria are very close cousins. So it shouldn't be a surprise. That we've got a form of lichen in our mouths, where fungi and bacteria form these sort of multicellular biofilms. By the way, this is also really common in the sinuses in humans and in the prostate in humans, which is what makes those very difficult infections to heal, because just like with the uh, with the layers in the ocean, the micro the biofilm creates a different environment, among other things. Antibiotics don't get in there very well because it serves as a shield. Uh, the oxygen tension is different. Uh, the uh, it's possible at the base of the micro uh, of of the biofilm. It's possible for microorganisms to enter a sort of spore like, insisted state where they aren't metabolically active. And since most of our antibiotics attack the metabolic processes of their target. If you're in suspended animation, you're basically bulletproof from the antibiotic as it goes through the bloodstream or is dumped on the tissue in whatever form we use. So there have been a, a number of analyses that show a group level activity, a kind of coordinated leap like or walking like motions uh, at, at a very slow speed because, you know, but if you if you think time lapse, you can see these fungi and bacteria biofilms actually spreading very rapidly across surfaces and, as you would expect, causing much more rapid uh, tooth decay. And these... I'm just going to read this. Interkingdom assemblages in human saliva behave like superorganisms with new functions and disease-promoting activity. Candida albicans and... Streptococcus mutans coassemble into structured cell groups in human saliva, which are remarkably uh, similar to the native interkingdom aggregates found in intact saliva from diseased patients. Bacteria and fungi collectively colonize the surface as a structured cell, growing with enhanced binding affinity. The assemblage displays three-dimensionality Enhanced tolerance to shear stress and and antimicrobials. The assemblies behave as a single um, king, sorry, uh, as a single organism, and three dimensionally move together and merge with each other, resulting in rapid high surface color coverage. This is why I have to get my teeth scraped, uh, because this biofilm. And the things that are migrating within it are taking over the surface of my teeth and yours. Uh, this allows non-motile bacteria to relocate after surface colonization. They ordinarily would not be able to do that. This promotes biofilm spatial surface spreading and the interkingdom assemblages cause rapid, extensive, and severe damage to the tooth enamel surface. Now, this is all being done in the lab as a proof of concept, but it's happening in your mouth as we speak. This is why we brush. Uh, this is why we floss, because we're in a constant battle with these inter assemblages. It's very sci-fi, but it's actually not even close to It's just science. And then to add insult to injury, we come to herpes viruses. The herpes viruses love the biofilm. The inflammation that's there tends to reactivate herpes viruses in the uh, ganglia. So you get, migra- you get a low-grade viral reproduction going on in the nerve cells that affect the teeth, and that just pours gasoline on the flames of this whole, th- whole thing. So getting your teeth cared for, having zero sites great, greater than five millimeters puts you at low disease progression risk. And whether it bleeds or not, if it's six millimeters or deeper, it requires aggressive therapy. And if you don't respond to conventional therapy, which involves hygiene, flossing, um, brushing, if you have already got pockets, getting down there with a water pick, I'm, I'm just cannot say more about the water pick. They have a little tiny setting on that, which totally cured my pocket. I could not get rid of that pocket. I was being a very good girl, but it gotten too deep, and I couldn't get down there. And you know, literally hosing it out on a daily basis has allowed me to regrow that gum tissue. And I had been messing around with this for years, replacing multiple crowns, trying to get rid of the quote unquote uh, food hammer. But what it really took was changing the microbiome by just washing out the biofilm. So we now have some information of what we want to see on an oral DNA test. and by the way, I will give you the results when they come back, but After listening to this lecture, I went into the exhibit hall and there are some people offering me, I think it was like a hundred bucks, an oral microbiome test. And I'm like, hell yes, I'm going to get that test and look at my microbiome because I want to keep my brain and I want to keep my health and if making sure I have a healthy gut microbiome and making sure I have a healthy oral microbiome is what it's going to take to do that. You know, I'm totally down with it. Let's go to go to the phones, and we're going to a caller. Hello. Uh, what's your name, and where are you calling from? Um, Carrie in SoCal. Hi, Carrie. What can I do for you?
1: Okay, one time you mentioned mouthwash, and I think, you either said don't use them or be careful mm-hmm. because it affects the uh, biome in in your the oral biome. Is that um, so? So ever since then, um, I've, I wanted to clarify what you were saying there.
0: All right, um, I'd be happy to clarify it. Let me let me just say that uh, I do remember saying that mul- multiple times, and it's really that when you alter the oral microbiome, you're also swallowing a little bit of that mouthwash, right? Even when you spit it out, it's still in there. I mean, you want it to be, that's the whole point, it freshens your breath. But uh, you're also dropping some uh, antimicrobials down into your, uh, your microbiome, your gut microbiome, and we see shifts of those, and we can track those. So uh, you lose some of your good bacteria when you do that. And one of the standard treatments of periodontitis is to use chlorhexidine, which is a very strong antimicrobial mouthwash to try to kill off the bad guys. And that there's always, and it's, it's always a tension. If you, if I go out and I kill all the weeds on my, um, and all the grass and everything on a 10 by 10 square patch of land, and I just like burn it or whatever, round it up, kill everything and i wait to see what comes back i'm going to see more rapidly growing aggressive plants like milk thistle like crabgrass like some of the other things you're always pulling up off of your lawn right weeds we call them but these weeds uh if you take that analogy into your mouth if you if you cut off the heads of everything what grows back is the stuff that grows the fastest which may not be the stuff you want and we can. We'll be getting in a little bit more to some of the dynamics here when I read that email in a few minutes. But let me let you ask a follow-up question.
1: Oh um, no, that you're pretty much answering it, except that you know I do have a very strong mouthwash that must be diluted to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's out of New Orleans, Dr. Teichner, and I like it, but I wanted to make sure that I'm you know, I wanna preserve oral. Right.
0: Right. Well why are you using it? What's what's your what's your goal here and, and why are you uh, using it?
1: To just to make my mouth clean to have it feel clean to me.
0: Um, oh okay. I would say that you're probably gonna have to give up one of those two things. If you had if you'd been directed to because you had a disease process That'd be one thing. I would suggest going to some kind of breath freshener like Binaka, or I don't know if that still exists, but a little drops, breath fresh <laughs> drops. Um, okay. Because. So, in other words, y- just stick with uh, toothpaste. Toothpaste, yep. rinse your mouth after you brush your teeth, make sure you floss. Uh, you can brush your tongue. I have, I mentioned the water pick. I I have a it has a spoon like thing on it that I use to brush my tongue. You can grow a lot of bacteria on your tongue that can then infect your teeth, and it's generally the tongue bacteria that give you bad breath. So brushing your tongue is a really good strategy, and uh, you know.
1: So would would you not use mouthwash? Would you personally not use
0: mouthwash? I would personally not use mouthwash. That's correct. Okay. And the okay. data I've said says. It's not worth it. You know, it's, a, it's, like you, it's like getting a really deep tan so that the broken veins on your legs don't, look, don't uh, show and then ending up with melanoma.
1: Okay, so and, and the reason for that is to preserve them,
0: microbiome. the microbiome. To, to, you know, to let and, and to keep, basically you keep the soil healthy and you'll grow right. healthy stuff.
1: Okay, I get that analogy. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Okay. Bye, bye. So, not only are we doing gut gardening, but we're also doing um, we're doing mouth gardening. <laughs> and why do you want to do this? Why do you want to go to the effort? Well, basically, uh, it's pretty crazy what we're seeing. We're seeing um, that the the risk of progression of heart disease is much higher. If you have periodontal disease, Uh, men over 50 with periodontal disease have a 72% increased risk of uh, coronary artery disease. And you're twice as likely to have a stroke if you have periodontal disease. You're also much more likely to get Alzheimer's. And the thing we call the intima media thickness, the CIMT, is increased with periodontal disease. That shows that you have more advanced vascular disease. And so one study looked at cardiac plaque for people who'd had their plaques removed. They looked at carotid plaque, excuse me. Uh, and in that carotid plaque, they found a bunch of these bacteria from the teeth, the ones that are associated with, uh, like Iconella and *Tanneria* and uh, all uh, the Campylobacter rectus. These are the ones that we don 't want to see because they 're periodontal organisms, well, it turns out they manage to migrate into your plaque, and plaque is happening because of inflammation, so the bacteria get in there, and i 'm not sure how they get in there, but oh my God, it makes me really think about uh, how important it is to you know keep that mouth at microbiome uh, microbiota in the healthy zone with low percentages of these bad actors that are showing up in plaque. Uh, And we notice that we see higher inflammatory mediators. And it's a vicious circle. The bacteria create inflammation. The inflammation creates these inflammatory mediators. These inflammatory mediators turn on the process of plaque development. And we're off to the races on your risk for heart disease and stroke. So the other thing is oxidative stress. So we have oxidative stress in our bodies. We have more disease. We have more inflammation. We have more disease. And there are so many things that we can't get away from. Air pollution, uh, for example. We can't get away from air uh, pollution. We can't get away from indirect cigarette smoke. We can't get away from all of our stress. There's things we can fix like vitamin D deficiency and sleep apnea, but ultimately, there's oxidative stress coming at us right and left. And we really do not want to add to that burden with something that's reversible that we could be doing. So let's go now to uh, our next caller. Uh, Hello, tell me your name and where you're calling from.
2: My name's Ian. I'm calling from Santa Cruz.
0: Hello, Ian. So tell me what your question is.
2: Yes, well, I have a comment and then a question. Okay. Uh, you mentioned all the uh, people who are going to be turning 70 uh, and uh, all that. Uh, as far as dental care, uh, I'm a senior, and uh, even if you have Medi-Cal, uh, Medicare, you you don't have dental care. You have to buy separate insurance, and it doesn't pay for, you know, anything but, you know, uh, your your regular uh, exams and x-rays, anything else. Uh, if you need major stuff, it just doesn't pay for. You can't afford a crown. You can't mm-hmm. afford uh, bridges. You can't afford implants. Um, uh, the root canals are very expensive. So I think most people who are in my situation, um, and I think that's a lot of people, they... Uh, can't afford to have uh, healthy uh, teeth and mouth because they can't afford to go to the dentist.
0: Well, I'm going to give you a couple of comments about that. Um, first of all, I'm not at all sure that root canals are a good idea. And I'm very ambivalent about, I'm actually very ambivalent about crowns. Uh, and when it comes to implants, uh yeah, all of these are surgical procedures that have complications. And in the case of crowns, you know, when I got my first crowns, they they didn't mention to me that that crown was good for about 10 years and then I would need to have it replaced. That was like, oh, yeah, well, I might not have had the tooth, you know, carved down to to a nub uh, if I'd known that, you know, and the... We aren't getting... I don't want to... My dental colleagues are professionals and I, I don't know what their socialization is like. I don't blame lawyers for being lawyers either. And uh, so I, I I guess what I'm, I'm saying here is that uh, I don't judge. I, I'm not going to judge the individuals. I am going to judge the science and I'm going to judge the technology. Obviously, the best way... Uh, to have good teeth is to eat a healthy diet and take care of them from the get-go. But you know we fall, we we can't always do that, and often we just don't understand the importance of it. So if I, so it's in a way probably I'm going to be a little bit of a therapeutic nihilist here to say probably extractions and dentures are actually the healthiest thing to be doing if you've got advanced disease. Uh, because at least the bone has a chance to heal, and you get rid of the environment where the bacteria can live. And in doing that, uh, you yes, you end up with an additional cost of dentures, but dentures are actually much cheaper than crowns or implants, and even if you have to replace them or line them. But nobody wants to go back. 50 years to when everybody by the age of 60 had dentures. And I get that. But on the other hand, I think some of these things that we do are probably going to not turn out to be the best idea for a substantial minority of people who do them. And what could you do? Well, at this point uh, you can really get religion brush after every brush and floss after every meal uh, there are a couple of products that are coming out that can be es- essentially injected into the hole- holes or just dripped into the holes, basically with a little syringe with a uh, with a little rubber tube on it. You get into the hole and you squirt. That water pick I mentioned, that's about a hundred bucks. And if you start systematically weeding, you know, that garden metaphor that we've been using, I think you need yeah. to start weeding and stick to it. And you're going to improve your dental health and you can get fillings. You know, if you have DK, get, you know, get them filled, not with something containing mercury, please. I'm dealing with that body burden from all the fillings I had as a child. And, you know, it's like, well, that was, you know, my parents spent a lot of money getting me state of the art dentistry and it backfired majorly, (laughs) but, uh, that's the true that's true of technology, right? You don't always know what the long-term consequences are going to be because you haven't had time to figure that out. And we just have to be, you know, charitable about when Okay. We- so thank you.
2: Oh, uh, can I ask my question? Uh-huh. Yes, it's about the mouthwash. When you say don't use mouthwash, are you talking about cross the board because there are different kinds of mouthwash and I mean I, I, I've i been using one with xylitol, which is good, and, and what about uh, the hydrogen peroxide mouthwash? Are those equally as bad? Uh,
0: the hydrogen peroxide is... I haven't seen data that it's good. I'll put it that way. It does kill, but it kills indiscriminately. The xylitol is less toxic, and I think it uh, probably... Co- pro- I, I'm not quite sure what the mechanism is, for xylitol, but it, but there is at least a little data that that is actually beneficial. The previous caller, uh, and when I talk about mothwash, I'm thinking listerine, I'm thinking scope. You know, I'm thinking these products that are, have a heavy amount of alcohol in them and are sterilizing agents, right? And I don't think we should be putting sterilizing agents in our mouths. So I have to kind of say I'm not great with, with the peroxide either. Obviously, don't swallow any of the stuff. Which, it, with peroxide, you're 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 going to swallow some of it, and probably peroxide breaks down very rapidly. So, of all the things you could be doing to try to reduce your bacteria count, peroxide, because it's of its very nature, it's structurally unstable, so it turns into water and oxygen very quickly. And water and oxygen aren't toxic, so it's toxic for it few minutes kills some bacteria but it doesn't hang around get all the way down into the microbiome of your gut and kill things there
2: well my peroxide mouthwash is food grade it's the peroxide is food grade i don't it's know what different. that
0: means uh food grade i don't I, is that a percentage um
2: uh, it's it's supposed to be uh You know, if you swallow it being food-grade, it's not supposed to be detrimental.
0: Right. Well, yes. How good is that data? And how long did they follow people out? And did they even know about the microbiome when they gave it that food-grade designation? I'll bet Mm -hmm. you that nobody was thinking microbiome. I don't think it's a horrible problem to use peroxide. That's my message to you there. Okay. Okay? Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. And I guess, uh, like many dentists, we've touched a nerve here. We have another caller. Uh, hello, tell me your name and where you're calling from.
3: Hello, dear doctor. It's oh, Aline. Aline. Your fan club. <laughs> my my uh, uh,
0: one-woman fan club. Hi, Aline. De-
3: de- dentally speaking, um, yeah, Deante darling, Dr. Jen Majeski. And to examine and go through and, and look like a teacher as we... Look.
0: Aline, I'm going to make you get to your question. X-rays. Aline, I'm going to make you get to your question.
3: Well, it turned... I mean, I didn't feel any pain, but I have a bridge in there, and I'll we'll have to have that replaced in about two years or so. Apoxicillin she gave me. I didn't feel any... She says, there's an infection. Right. But I guess uh, that antibiotics no good.
0: Well, no, I think you you know if you've got an infection, particularly in the gums, yes. antibiotics are a reasonable thing. But you're yes. going to have to take a lot of probiotics and eat a lot of fiber foods. I do, and well, you have to double what you're doing if you're while you're on antibiotics. Whatever you're doing, double it. Oh,
3: okay,
0: okay, and the, and, and and then keep doing that for another month after you're off the antibiotics, and. Oh. Okay, because that's yes. because you need to give the ground cover time to regrow, right? You've wiped it out. Now you're looking at bare soil. The weeds are going to move in if they oh, can. Yeah. So you've got to keep using mulch, ground cover, and let the, you know, let the, whatever you're using, dichondra, thy- thyme, uh, whatever your ground cover is, you've got to let it reform.
3: Well, I eat lots with lots of black ground pepper. I spice my foods with.
0: Oh I don't I, I don't know if what effect that has on the microbiome but I think it's probably yeah. tolerable.
3: Did Oh yeah.
0: All right, I, Aline, I'm going to I'm going to Okay, Sepicol, I would not recommend. Oh. I, I don't recommend mouthwash. I know the is still I know
3: you don't. But if
0: you're treating a disease, okay, short term, but you know, you want to treat the disease aggressively so you don't have to it, so that your microbiome I can that, recover. generally
3: speaking just swill and do a mouthwash when I get up for the day. No. Just brush your Nothing. tongue. Yeah. Just yeah, brush your tongue anyway. and drink
0: some mint tea and uh, with a little lemon in it, and your mouth will feel fresh oh. enough.
3: Well, I, yeah, I, I do that anyway. <laughs> okay. Well, then,
0: yeah, I, I think it's kind of uh, you're going after sensation. It's not worth
3: it. It's just a big money market part of capitalism, and so many dentists probably have stock. in Do we really
0: need product. deodorant? Right? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. let's not go. Let's yeah, not get. Yeah. Right, let's not right, go right. into. Let's not go into secondary gain, my dear, um, because again, I'm, I, I told you it's my policy. I don't judge, I just comment on the science. Okay, I'm going so, to say goodbye. So I'm going to say goodbye, love. I'm going to say goodbye, love, so I can finish up this topic because I really want to get to this email and it's so germane. And I've got just enough time here. Uh, and this one is from Teresa from New Mexico. And Teresa writes, Maxilla infection, chronic refractory osteomyelitis, hyperbaric, and phage. So I'm going to abbreviate her email. Teresa's had four operations since January of this year uh, for cleaning and repairing a big cavitation at the roots of the teeth. So at the root of the teeth, you're talking totally anaerobic environment. You're talking bad bacteria that produce biofilm and that produce compounds as a result, that melt the teeth. And, of course, she's lost the teeth. And then she had a titanium implant um, with bone with bone grafting and a screw. And now, of course, the bone grafts gotten infected because they didn't clear all of the bacteria that was floating around in there. You can't sterilize the mouth. So putting a foreign object into an in, in infected area, yeah, it's a good way to, it, it's just not a good idea. And it's really hard not to, but you have to figure out something else. Now she's on gut biome-wrecking oral vancomycin, uh, and she had her blood levels checked, and they aren't high enough to actually kill the bacteria in her mouth. So now she's driving, uh, now she's on two antibiotics. So can you say antibiotic-resistant bacteria anytime soon, children? Uh, And she's driving to Bend, Oregon to do hyperbarics, and uh, going to try to get Medicare to cover that. I hope. I hope you do. And uh, she's seeing another oral surgeon. She thinks that uh, she's getting spasms in her eyelid. She's worried that her cranial nerves are involved. So she wants to know about phages because last a couple of shows ago I talked about phages, which are viruses that infects. Uh, uh, that in that infect bacteria and kill them. Uh, So, Teresa, one of the things that you didn't say that you're doing that I I think you should think about would be ozone. Uh, And if you do get any kind of... uh, The hyperbaric chamber is a good idea because these are anaerobic bacteria. So if you can increase the oxygen tension in the blood high enough, then you might be able to, you know, in conjunction with the antibiotics kill the clone of bacteria that are hiding down there. Now, you asked about phages, and I went and did a little deep dive about phage, and uh, what I found was very interesting and really fits with this program. I've got about a minute and a half to tell you that they have specific phages against specific bacteria. So the bacteria that you mention in, uh, Teresa, in your email, I was unable to find any phages that uh, are known to attack that, but of course, this is published data. There are phage libraries. I think I talked about that already, and those are in uh, the those are in Eastern Europe. And if there is a so, I would search phage library and see it what turns up. But there are phages for Streptococcus mutans, which is the bacteria that causes uh, most dental cavities. And, you know, there's tricks, but they've come up with some interesting technologies, a kind of patch that you put on the teeth or paint onto the teeth that slowly releases phages over time as it wears down from chewing and stuff. They found one against uh, periodontitis from *Enterococcus faecalis. So I think while you're in there, uh, you you really want to characterize all of the bacteria and then search by phage because if you can... Even hit one or two of them. You may have to travel to Eastern Europe to get this therapy, though. And I don't know that you're, I don't, I think it's not quite ready for prime time, but it really is coming. And next week, we'll talk about phage bacteria, uh, bacteriophage therapy and cystic fibrosis, which I expect uh, will interest a lot of people. We'll first define the disease, and then we'll talk about this exciting new area. Well, that's about all for this week's podcast. Please go to AskDrDon.com for news about our future plans or follow my tweets at at AskDRDon. For now, this is Dr. Don saying so long and stay healthy.
1: Ask Dr. Don is brought to you by Jiva Media. Production and editing by Charles Bansky. Music by John Scoville.